we started a series on Sunday morning uh, talking about fighting for a good faith. And this past Sunday, I talked a little bit about nationalism, not Christian nationalism, just nationalism in general, how nations tend to exalt themselves and think of themselves as better than other nations surrounding them or other people groups, that type of thing. But what I wanted to do was complement this particular uh, message with a three-week study on Wednesday nights, uh, talking specifically about Christian nationalism. Back at the beginning of November, uh, Mark and Pete and Wendy Sharp and Clint, and I'm trying to remember who else there was, we went to a seminar uh, that was put on by Vote Common Good, and you'll see some of the individuals that um, were a part of that seminar over the next three weeks. And we, um, we learned a lot, and I, I thought it would be beneficial if we kind of covered some of the same material, looked at some of the same videos that we saw on that evening. So over the next three Wednesday nights, I'm trying to complement a little bit what I talked about this past Sunday, as well as um, uh, just kind of summarizing some of the things that we did uh, because not everyone had the availability to go down and, and be a part of that. But it was very good and it introduced a topic that I think is very relevant. And it's a topic that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. So what we want to talk about tonight is Christian nationalism as an introduction. And over the next two Wednesday nights that follow, we'll also kind of wrap that up. And then we'll go into a new study at the beginning of February. So here's what I'd like to do tonight. We're going to have a number of videos that you're going to watch. And they're very short. They're only like three or four minute videos. But I have some discussion uh, questions that I put into the handout that I emailed out. And uh, so I, this is an opportunity for us uh, to interact. And I don't intend really to um, teach as much as just facilitate uh, some thoughts that we can have when we view some of these videos and when we um, ask some questions that might help us to ponder this topic a little bit more. So let's get started. And the way we're going to do it is take a look here at a uh, introduction to what Christian nationalism is. And basically, as you can see, by means of the picture here, there is the uh, United States flag as well as a cross. And the flag and the cross seem to be combined within Christian nationalism. And there is not the distinction between the two. And what we're going to try to learn a little bit is how do we distinguish the two, how we can honor both and yet not get tripped up by um, merging them together. So as you can see here on these three bullet points over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the topic. And our goal is just to kind of understand it a little bit better. I think we began to understand some of the mindset of Christian nationalism two years ago. We just came past the two-year anniversary of the insurrection at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and that was put on full display but even there, people probably don't understand fully what 
the mentality or mindset is that produce that. And that's my goal is hopefully we'll understand that. And as we do so, uh, then we can begin to see how uh, we can be faithful Christ followers, as well as good citizens, and not to use one against the other or trying to manipulate other people by uh, merging these two things together. So having said that, what I want to do tonight is give to you just a few thoughts, and then we'll go from there. So Christian nationalism is really an ideology that uh, is embraced by a number of individuals. And as we have seen since 2016, it's very largely embraced by white evangelical Christians. So I want to ask some questions tonight. Hopefully that will help us watch this ver first video clip here. And when I say the word Christian nationalism, are you familiar with it? And when you hear it, what are some of the words or the images that come to mind when you hear the term? Um, where have you seen some examples of this? Uh, have you run into it personally? And what your initial reaction is to that? And is it positive? Is it negative? Uh, do you have more of a neutral uh, understanding or approach to it? So let me throw those three questions out to you. That, that will help us to determine where we are kind of in our understanding of this topic. Um, are you familiar with the term? Have you seen examples of it? And what's your initial reaction? So let's interact a little bit on that. Uh, anybody want to kind of share their, their thoughts on that this evening? Mark, can I pick on you a little bit? Cause you went to the seminar with me. Um, what, what, type of uh, reaction, you're on mute right now. So you're gonna have to, let me see if I can unmute you. Yeah, I got it, I got it. Well, my first thought when I heard this very, I don't know when, when it was, but when I heard the word Christian nationalism, I was thinking or had the thoughts that, oh good, the government is going back to Christianity and, and, and that kind of stuff. And then the more I'm learning about it, it's kind of like the opposite. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that's what, I, what I'm thinking, you know. Okay. I thought it was going to be a good thing that there'd be more, more Christian, you know. Okay. Christianity one... in the government or whatever. But uh, now I'm finding out that that's, you know, the total opposite. Well, that's one topic we want to get a better understanding of. Is this a good thing, a bad thing, or can it be a little bit of both? depending upon what the topic is. So that's that's really good. I mean, uh, expanding our understanding, because if this type of movement leads to the type of behavior that we saw on January 6th with the insurrection, then I would say it's a bad thing. People were yeah. killed in the process. If it, it leads to something else where there is uh, honoring and loving your neighbor as yourself, then it is a good thing. So um, I, that's good. You know, I'm trying to get to the heart of, of it a little bit more. Anybody else have some thoughts there of initial reactions uh, or examples, that type of thing? Well, I've never really studied the, the term, but what I always think of is that they that type of a 
person or a belief would think that Christianity has to be the state religion. They don't believe in the separation of church and state. And they want everybody in the U.S. to think and believe in um, Christianity. And if they don't, then they're wrong or they're scary. And they should be, at least the ones I know that I think about like this, you know, they shouldn't be allowed to worship or, or um, witness to other people about their religion. And it's just kind of a very, you know, even people like you and I would be, are looked down upon as being liberal and, you know, we backslidden and better get our thinking straight. That's a pretty good summarization. Um, the, the idea of everyone needs to be Christian and the idea that uh, the nation should kind of use uh, Christian symbolism uh, and, and terminology and everyone should be okay with that, even if it pushes other people of faith or people uh, with no faith into the background and kind of becoming second-class citizens uh, because we're a Christian nation type thing. So that's a real good summarization and observation. Any other, any thoughts uh, from any anyone else? Well, my first thought about Christian nationalism is uh, when Rome decided that Christianity should be uh, their national religion mm-hmm. that didn't work out so well mm-hmm. in a lot of ways i mean it led to crusades and you know when you force a religion on to people it never really works very well but um i think the problem that i see is uh christianity's uh, nobody really uh, seems to agree on what is a Christian value. Mm-hmm. So when you try to uh, connect that with uh, politics, it's a pretty dangerous mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, go online to that vote common good or something. I did watch some of the, the videos um, it just doesn't seem like it's a very good idea mm-hmm. to mix to mix those two things, the religion mm-hmm. and the politics. Especially when you can't even d- figure out what is a Christian value. Okay, mm-hmm. very good. So you bring up a great historical example. When Constantine in 314 uh, AD decides he's going to make the entire Roman Empire Christian, well, at that point, it was a political move that was made. And then all kinds of things related to power began to filter into that decision. And, you know, it does lead to some things that are quite non-Christian too. So that's that's really good. Anybody else have anything else you want to say here initially before we watch our first video clip? Okay. So what we're going to do is I want to, before we watch this video number one, I want to give to you a working definition uh, from a Christian nationalist position. So 
this is an actual quote from a book that's called Christian Nationalism, A Biblical Guide for Taking Dominion and Discipling Nations by Andrew Torba. And it says in the book, uh, Christian nationalism is a spiritual, political, and cultural movement comprised of Christians who are working to build a parallel Christian society grounded in a biblical worldview. Now, boy, there's a lot in that uh, definition there. When you combine spiritual, political, and cultural, all of a sudden you're beginning to say everyone's got to look and sound like us. So let's think of other nations as well, where, you know, there was a young lady that was killed, uh, um, a Muslim lady, because she wasn't wearing her head covering uh, the right way. And a uh, beautiful young woman, this is a few weeks back, uh, uh, where they actually took her life because she didn't live up to their particular ideal. So it can get very askew in terms of uh, control and power. And this word right here, political, at that point is trying to actually produce policies that are going to force other people to follow certain guidelines, or in the case of this definition, a biblical worldview. So here's what I want you to do as you watch this first video clip. Um, you're going to see some um, images from the insurrection of the Capitol, and I want you to just kind of uh, sense what you're feeling as you watch it. And then I want to get to you an actual uh, visual of what was prayed, because it is not real, real clear on this video clip. You can't understand it with great clarity. However, what are your what is your thoughts and what is your feelings as as you watch this video clip? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to minimize uh, our pictures here and that'll leave it full screen for the video. Part of it is what I saw on the of the prayer that the insurrectionists prayed when they broke in mm -hmm. to the Senate dais. This is a, there was a video shot by a reporter from The New Yorker who I'm so glad was there because he recorded this video and it was shared. And what these men and they all happened to be men that were in this space prayed is the greatest clarity and articulation of Christian nationalism. I'm going to play the video for you here in a moment. Maybe you've seen it already, and so you know to brace yourself. For those who haven't seen it before, I will just say it, it's a little shocking. The clarity and the boldness that these insurrectionists are taking over the Capitol, they're inside the Senate chamber, they're up on the Senate dais, the one of the people you will recognize who has been arrested by the FBI and is going to be prosecuted for his crimes of insurrection on that day is one often referred to as the QAnon shaman. This is the man with the horns and the and the the sleeveless uh, fur vest. He's the one that's there, and he leads a prayer. The words of the prayer are an articulation <laughs> of Christian nationalism. So hear them, hear them over. We're recording this. You'll have a chance to hear them later. You can. Look this video up on YouTube if you want to watch in your own time uh, to, to see it again. It's a riveting moment and shows the view of Christian nationalism. 
Now, I do want to say this. Not every Christian nationalist is going to want to lead a violent, deadly insurrection against our government and then stand in the dais and pray this prayer. But this would be the content that so many people who, while they disagree with the means by which these people were leading their insurrection, they agree with the sentiment. And this is what has motivated this webinar tonight and so many others. So here it is. It's about a minute long. And uh, um, I'll just say again, um, uh, draw your attention to it and pay as close of attention as you can to what's going on and the words that are spoken. So here it is. All the way back to the monument. All the way. Jesus Christ, we spoke your name. Amen. 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 Let's all say a prayer in this sacred space. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. For this opportunity to stand up for our God-given unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for getting the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs, that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for filling this chamber with your white light of love, your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and that love Christ. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for blessing each and every one of us here and now. Thank you, divine creator God for surrounding and filling us with your divine, omnipresent, white light of love and protection peace and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Okay, so here is the actual worded wording of the QAnon shaman's prayer it was a little bit difficult to uh, hear because he was using that megaphone but uh you got a little bit of a feel for um what was going on in the senate chamber after they broke in but this is what he prayed thank you heavenly father for gracing us with this opportunity to stand up for our god-given unalienable rights Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs, that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for filling this chamber with your white light and love, your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and that love Christ. So that it probably is something that you can see and, um, and read and, and get a sense of uh, a little bit when you see it in print. So what what was your initial 
thoughts and feelings just by that video clip. You might have seen it before, or you might not have seen that particular angle of it. What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? And then I will, I'll point out what are uh, several observations about this, excuse me, prayer that's troubling uh, in my mind anyways. So um, how did the video strike you? disgusting <laughs> yeah okay. in okay in what way mark what made what made it just that they just came in overpowered like that like they were the the rulers or whatever you know and just kind of took over okay but isn't it interesting in the prayer that the prayer says the police allowed us to come in to express our god-given rights yeah, I don't think they allowed them. Like they, no. like they stood there and opened the door for them to come in or something. I, that wasn't the way it appeared on the news. No, no they overpowered the, them. That was the breaking of the windows and and yeah, yeah, and and they overpowered them and and you know just stampede like you know. Okay, they were killing the police officers. I mean, yeah, and just disrespecting the government. Jeez, right. uh huh. Okay. You know, just it just seems crushed. typical, typical to me of people who people can twist religion any way they want. Mm -hmm. They looked at this being able to get into the Senate as uh, a, that God wanted them in there and God guided them in there and mm -hmm. is with them in there. And it's, it's just typical of, I think, of the way people twist religion all the time yeah they, they isn't it fascinating some of the words that were used it, god is filling this place with white light love and harmony okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's he's just very good at, yeah. he's very good if he wrote this prayer i mean he's you know seems sounds very intelligent and everything okay. yeah very he good. could even uh, use omnipotent and omnipotent and yeah big words yeah big yeah. theological words right yeah white light does that have any uh race racial connotation to it i don't know that's good Could point. Be. Yeah. white light white light okay anybody else have any other observations well in the beginning very beginning of the clip did i see the guy who had the um confederate flag wrapped around him go by in there probably yeah i'd have to go back and look at it again but probably it so that's what i don't understand where does the confederate flag have the place in a um in all this it's not well it's a it's a representative uh in my opinion this is just my opinion um it's representative of white power and white privilege. White light. And it, and that's what I think Gusty was pointing yeah. out, white light type thing. So if he wasn't in that clip, there, there were people that were draping themselves with Confederate flag, you know. Yeah, I, I thought right day. in the beginning, I saw him walk by. Okay. Who is, who is this guy? Just, just a person that came in like that or? 
Yeah, he was running around the Capitol building <clears throat> at one right. point. And I, I actually had to do a double take because he's <laughs> very, he reminds us a lot in his facial features of our ex-son-in-law. Oh. So I went like this the first time I ever saw him. <laughs> no, I knew he was home. <laughs> I never paid attention, but was there just white people that were involved in this insurrection? Or was there any other races uh, that were spotted amongst the crowd that stormed the Capitol? Very, very, very small percentage. Mm -hmm. um, I would say 99% is, is white. white. That's right. Mm -hmm. There were, there was at least one African-American guy. Yeah. And I imagine there was more than that too. But I, you know, uh, when you watch footage, for sure, the majority is white. So, okay. So here's three observations. Um, and you can comment on these if you want. It's interesting that it it kind of proclaims that the insurrection was inspired by God. So that goes to the God card. In other words, how can you argue with God? Just like God uh, commanded the Israelites to go into the land and take out the Canaanites, uh, we're following in that same tradition. So this insurrection is God's will, uh, is, is an observation. Secondly, the country, it's interesting, this is our country, not theirs. Um, and so I guess you have to agree politically with the individuals that led the insurrection if, if the country is going to be that you're a part of that country. If you disagree, uh, you don't belong. Now, what's fascinating to me, let me go back here, um, what he calls these people, he calls them tyrants and communists and globalists. Isn't that interesting mm -hmm. that um, those that are not a part of uh, this nationalistic group that wants to um, overthrow the election um, are considered global globalist tyrants and communists. So it seems to me that um, there is no wiggle room here in their mind for anyone that has either a different set of convictions or a different political outlook. And um, so, you know, you're either with us or against us is kind of how that prayer strikes me. Um, and I think the idea here that um, the others are enemies. And ultimately, if you're an enemy of this country, then you need to be driven out. You need to be, you know, um, excommunicated and exiled from American life. Now, if you think of it in those terms, that's, that alone is very scary, in my opinion. So in, to, to be able to think that life, liberty, and justice for all goes out the window if you don't agree with a particular group, that that is a very threatening and dangerous mindset in my opinion. So any other comments there? I think what's interesting about the prayer in general is that it was kind of a generic prayer. It really, if you assume that the, in some sense, the instruction was inspired by Donald Trump, 
by in, in order to overturn the election. There's never any comment in the entire prayer where it says, Lord, help people, help the Senate see things right and overturn this election. I mean, and there's never, there's, there's not a single reference there mm-hmm. to what people, what the original intent, I think, of the, of the whole insurrection was. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, a, so it's odd in that sense that it's, yeah. it's, it's more of a gen, general prayer that, you know, they could have said in church that Sunday in their church. You know, versus what the, the versus at that moment of time in the Senate. You know, uh, it's just, it doesn't sound like a prayer that was just all of a sudden he stood up and gave a prayer. Mm-mm. It sounded like you know he had written this before. It was or, prescribed in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move ahead, and we might get some additional insight here as we move along. So. A core concept here is that Christian nationalism tends to try to merge Christianity with an American identity. Uh, So you're taking the idea of America's constitutional democracy and you're beginning to blend it together as a part of the Christian faith. Well, I find that interesting because America is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Uh, it, you know, so to merge these two things together is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting coupling of things. So as you can see here, Christian nationalism holds that America belongs to Christians and that non-Christians should either be marginalized in some respect or at worst driven out of positions of power and influence. And so in many ways, this sounds kind of like a coup. that we want to take over, we want to control, we want to have the power. And right there in that, I think what you have is kind of the idea of a democracy uh, going out the window. We should be in control. And a lot of this will be connected to the idea that America is a Christian nation from the very beginning of its history. So second video here that we want to look at, because this is all part of the same webinar, um, the first individual you saw with the hat, that's Doug Paget, and he is a head of the Vote Common Good organization. So he invited some uh, guests uh, to be a part. And so as you watch this video clip, um, <laughs> try to ask yourself, why is it detrimental to merge Christian and American identities. Why is that so dangerous? Secondly, what negative effects might the merging of Christianity and Americanism have in the long run? So keep those two things in mind. And then at this point, we'll hear from Amanda Tyler. Can you give us your definition of Christian nationalism? Like, uh, it's a term that a lot of us have thought about and worried about. It doesn't seem like very many people self-identify with it. Like it's hard to find people who go around saying like, I am a Christian nationalist. It feels like it's a description of a set of beliefs and behaviors more than a self-identifying uh, perspective. But I'm wondering about your thoughts on that. Do you, how do you talk about it? And how do you explain the issue of Christian nationalism and the, or the topic of Christian nationalism? 
I think that's really a, a vital point because if I, we should have a common understanding about what we're talking about as far as Christian nationalism goes. And I'm going to point to the statement that's available at Christians Against Christian Nationalism org. You know, the work that we did back in 2019 uh, was about providing an advocacy platform for people who were interested in learning more and for taking a public stand. And the, the centerpiece of the project is a statement. And in the statement itself, we define Christian nationalism as a political ideology that seeks to merge our identities as Americans and Christians. Um, so a few things here, you know, one, we are specifically talking in the American context. Uh, this is something that comes up. This is not uh, particular to the United States, but I, but in our work, we are, t we are really focusing on the American expression of Christian nationalism. And so we talk explicitly about American and Christian identities. Um, but we also want to distinguish that Christian nationalism is not Christianity. Christian nationalism is a political ideology. Christianity is sort of religion. That said, there, you can't totally divorce Christianity out of okay. it. It'd be, it'd be great just to say, oh, this has nothing to do with Christianity. Yeah. That would be yeah. really easy, right? That's not accurate. Um, and that's because Christian nationalism uses the narratives and the symbols, and in some cases, even the theology of Christianity um, to further this political ideology. But, but as we define Christian nationalism, it is not itself a religion. It is more about identity than religion um, in a lot of ways. And we get at this in one of our resources that we have available at Christians Against Christian Nationalism, a really handy one pager um, that your guests last week, uh, Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry helped us put together called, What is Christian Nationalism? And we talk about how it's more identity than religion. Um, when we define Christian nationalism, I think it's also important to say what it's not. It's not patriotism. Patriotism is a love of country, and we can love, we can show our love of country in a number of different ways. We can wave an American flag, we can protest in the streets, we can exercise our constitutional rights, right? These are all different ways to be patriotic. Nationalism is a love of country that also requires an allegiance to it above everything else, including our theological views. And so when our theological view, when our, when our patriotism starts to ask us to sacrifice our theological views, that's no longer patriotism, that's nationalism. And, uh, and particularly as we're talking about here, Christian nationalism. Okay, so um, I thought she did a good job on uh, giving us a distinction of identities. And um, there's a couple of things that we might be able to uh, determine through her comments. Um, in some ways, Christian nationalism demands that Christianity be privileged uh, by the state above other religions, because there's this merging of identity between Christianity and Americanism. And so by implication, uh, you could might be able to say that uh, if you're a good American, you must be a Christian. So that can be very dangerous in the sense 
that those that are non-Christian, whether they're Buddhist or whether they're the atheist or agnostic or uh, Muslim or Jewish or whatever, uh, these individuals are not as good Americans as we are because we're Christian. So there's a, there's a danger there when you begin to merge these identities together. So Amanda uh, Tyler, I think, um, helps us to, to understand also the distinction between being a good um, patriotic citizen of the country uh, versus being nationalistic. So a couple of questions here that if you want to chime in on them, in what ways could the U.S. privilege Christianity over other religions? And secondly, how can Christians be patriotic without being nationalistic? Some thoughts on that? Any comments? Well, you might see that um, some things like privilege of Christianity over other religions. Let's just take the tax code uh, as an example. Uh, Christian churches should continue to be allowed to be tax exempt, but we're not going to do the same thing for other non-Christian religions. Uh, that might be a, a way of uh, showing privilege of Christianity over other religions. Um, you might also find that um, depending on who's in power in various communities, uh, certain churches might be able to have uh, certain privileges within the community that other people don't, whether it pertains to zoning laws or uh, different things like that as well. So there, there's different ways that it could really go askew that all citizens are not necessarily equal within the same country, even though the Constitution says uh, that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should be available to all people, whether they're Christian, non-Christian, um, or agnostic, or atheist. So um, those are my my observations on that. I think also- I think education. I think education yeah. is the other one. Yeah, go, uh, go ahead. I, I just think, you know, the the Christian nationalists would really like to see uh, Christian values be taught and brought into the school systems. Again. Yeah, and making, is, making things to... like prayer mandatory within public schools, that type of thing. Uh, just yeah. support Bible just studies, support. classes on Christianity. Yeah. But then you have the separation of church and state. Well, supposedly you do, but if Christian nationalism has its way, then that would go by the wayside because there would be the merging of the two and it could go into various sectors, just like Brenda was saying, into education. Um, and it's interesting that um, a Christian nationalist would never then allow those same privileges. Let's, so let's take prayer in school as an example, they would never allow that same privilege uh, for a Muslim to pray five times a day within the public school, you know, that type of thing. So there's kind of an un, uneven balance there. Uh, so good, good option. I, I think you also, you also see it in, uh, in the businesses that don't want to um, provide 
certain types of health care for their employees because they're Christian business owners or they don't want to provide services to say a, a bar mitzvah, uh, they won't cater it because they're Christian and they don't mm -hmm. believe in a Jewish bar mitzvah yeah. or or the, uh, they don't want to make a, a wedding cake for a, uh, a gay uh, wedding. So I, mm -hmm. I think you, you see it all the time that the, what they're trying to do and, and that's the kind of the scary thing if it actually, uh, to me, if it actually goes further. Mm -hmm. Good. Anybody else before we move on? Oh, I was talking to my brother on the on the phone for a few minutes. He has COVID, so I was he called. I didn't want to hang up on him. You know, I did, I think this the whole issue of the, of the Christian nation. I, I do think you know historically we've been viewed that way. I mean, I think and people, most Americans historically have thought of themselves that way. Um, I think if you look at some of the old presidential, you know, speeches in the old days after Pearl Harbor or whatever, you know. Even even political leaders at that time that we respected presidents, I think in some cases referred to us as a Christian nation, if you know what I'm saying. So I, I think historically and culturally, and, and I think there's a, there's lots of these individuals wanting to go back. They're worried about change. I mean, it's and it's, and it's not just our country. It's, it's many countries. They're worried about change in terms of you know, demographics of people, in terms of whatever changes. And they they like they prefer to have it the way it, it always was, and I think historically people thought of us as a Christian nation, and, and, and so now that's evolving and changing. But I think that's part of what's at play here, also with these folks, is that they they kind of long for the old days when we were truly a Christian nation, and everybody was, you know, there were there were fewer minorities, if you want to put it that way. If you, if you know what I'm saying? I think that's and they see those things changing. They see diversity increasing. Um, and they see that as things that, that concerned them. And, and I think, again, they long for the good old days, quote, in quotes. And that's part of what we're seeing here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, so, we've, go ahead. we've been watching this 1923 show. Have you watched that at all? No. Uh -uh. It's part of the, well, I can't think, the one that Kevin Cosner started. They have a bunch of them in a row, but it's pretty historic. And there was one segment in there the other day in the last um, episode in the series that they've done so far, where these nuns were literally trying to beat the Native Americans into becoming Christians. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, it, you know, it was back that far. Yeah. Even. Yeah. So we'll get to this here in the next couple of weeks, too. And that is what we have been told about our country, while it has historical elements to it, isn't the whole picture. And I, I think that that comes into play, too, uh, in especially in regards to our historical roots. For tonight, let's uh, let's keep going, and I know I'm going to go a little bit long here, so I will not take it personally. If you have other things that you're doing and you need to log off, that's fine. Uh, but uh, I, I just want to keep this to three weeks because when we come to February, I have another thing that I'd like for us to do. I don't want to 
uh, reveal what I'm going to do yet. Um, I'll reveal it in the next couple of weeks, but let's uh, let's uh, forge ahead. Okay, so uh, so Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry uh, wrote uh, a couple of books on on nationalism and Christian nationalism, and they do uh, a lot of um, a demographic and statistical type study, uh, but they also help in regards to uh, just some of their observations of what is happening. So I'm going to do um, uh, the first one here uh, with Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, and then we'll come back to a couple of observations. Tell us what's in your book, right? You've you've done all this work. Uh, give us the you know, the, the Cliff's Note version of what you found in the study. How prevalent is this? Who believes it? Uh, you know, the, the, the what, what, what did you learn when you did this? And is it really a threat? Or are people mm -hmm. like us and others who are worried about this, are we are we all a do about nothing here? And mm -hmm. um, this will just, this is a, a little virus that'll be in our system, but uh, the body politic and the church will, will ultimately be fine. What did what, 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 you find out? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll dive in first and then let Sam finish it off. Um, so in our book, you know, we, we performed or you know, were able to get data on these large national surveys. And we asked um, respondents six different questions where they could strongly disagree to strongly agree with them. Um, things like, you know, the United States is part of God's plan or the federal government should advocate Christian values or declare the U.S. a Christian nation. And so the degree to which people strongly agreed with those or strongly disagreed, we assigned them point values and were able to create a scale um, by adding all those different questions together. And we did that because it's really important to understand that Christian nationalism isn't a binary, you know, yes or no, but that Americans really are all along a spectrum where some embrace it really strongly. Um, some, you know, see, well, you know, Christianity being a part of of what we do in the U.S. is important, and others kind of resist that, or the rejectors who we see on the very end of the scale say, you know, there should be no fusion of this type of Christianity, which again, which we define in our book, is, is really this idea of a white, conservative, um, natural-born citizen. That's, that's the Christian that they're talking about. Um, you know, American civil society shouldn't be fused to this type of Christianity. Um, and so when we're able to create that scale, we can now look at, well, how do these respondents view the world? And there were three basic things that we um, tried to do throughout the book and were our main takeaways is the first that Christian nationalism matters. And so Sam, you know, he'll be able to share, um, even with his more recent data, that when we're looking at anti-democratic attitudes or we're looking at um, policing of African-Americans, if we're looking at immigration, if we're looking at refugees, if we're looking at religious minorities, we're looking at all these different um, important hot button issues, Christian nationalism consistently matters over and above whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you are an evangelical or a mainline Protestant or unaffiliated, whether you attend church a lot or you believe the Bible should be read literally. We account for all those things. Christian nationalism is still consistently one of the most important predictors. So that, what that tells us is that this is a key lens through which Americans view their social worlds. Whether they embrace it or reject it, it is doing work in how people are interacting with their world. Um, the, the second thing we find is that Christian nationalism is um, not only really important, but it's an actual thing. And I just use kind of this, you know, non-sociological um, language here because it isn't just racism. 
It isn't just conservative politics. It isn't just authoritarianism, but that it is something different. Um, it's, it's its own thing, and so we're studying that. Mm. And then our final kind of main finding is that um, Christian nationalism does not necessarily equal um, being religious or, or being evangelical or, um, you know, being a faithful Christian. Uh, because we find that those that reject Christian nationalism but maybe attend an evangelical Protestant church, they look completely different from fellow evangelicals who might embrace Christian nationalism really strongly. And so this is something that cuts across religious traditions. So if you're a white Catholic or a white mainline Protestant who embraces Christian nationalism, the likelihood that you really support the insurrectionists is, is equally high to white evangelicals, what we're finding. And so this is something that really operates across religious traditions. Um, and so those are some of the key kind of points we make in the book. Uh, but Sam's been collecting some amazing data lately. Um, and so, yeah, Sam, I'll, I'll let you share just a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, I, just to just to finish off the discussion of the uh, of the book, though, I think the three uh, the the way the book progresses is we describe how really Christian nationalism worships at the Holy Trinity of power, boundaries, and order. Uh, that uh, it it values three things primarily: uh, power and making sure that uh, our, our group uh, stays in power and is able to maintain that power. Uh, we demonstrate that in the book through its Christian nationalist support of Donald Trump and his policies and his brand of politics. And we've been able to demonstrate that in subsequent studies as well. Uh, that Christian nationalism, and especially white Christian nationalism, is very concerned with maintaining proper boundaries between us and them. And that's really one of the things that Christian nationalism boils down to, is marking off who is the us that has the rightful power in the United States, and who is the them that we oppose and want to make sure that we mm. marginalize or oppress or drive out. Uh, and then the last one is order. Christian nationalism uh, at its core, longs to establish and reinforce a, a very particular traditionalist social order uh, in which everybody recognizes their proper place in the family, uh, in society, in the church. Uh, and so um, it manifests in a variety of ways, but really that's kind of the breakdown of the book is how Christian nationalism reinforces and worships at that, that holy trinity of power, boundaries, and order. So um, this particular book that he keeps talking about uh, is uh, Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States by Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry. It's published by Oxford University Press in uh, 2020. <clears throat> so if you're interested in that, if you like statistics, if you um, like the way that they can put data together, um, that might be a good book for you to pick up and from the library and, and take a look at. Uh, so he mentions, uh, well, both of them mentioned a couple of things. Number one, that Christian nationalism to its extreme is about privileges, it's about boundaries, and it's about order. And then um, I think what you take away from this video clip is that it's also kind of a lens through which um, people look at various key issues uh, within the country. So if you are a Christian nationalist, uh, you will it will definitely influence the way you view the immigration policies in the United States and refugees and and different things like that. So the the idea of power uh, elevating their own, 
versus uh, disempowering other people who are not like us uh, is kind of at the heart of this extremism. Um, and again, I think a lot of the way we are shaped in our upbringing uh, influences whether we lean that way or not. So um, a lot of times racism comes into play here, and that's what I'm going to be talking about a little bit on Sunday. Um, how does racism factor in to uh, not just, um, as Paul says, fighting the good fight, but actually uh, fighting for a good faith? And, and so what you have here is this idea of power, boundaries, and order uh, is very key. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, uh, the next, I'm going to do two videos back to back. If you don't mind, um, I'm picking up a little bit of background noise, just kind of to put your microphone on mute uh, so that it doesn't pick up the background noise uh, for the next two things. I'd appreciate that. So let's go to the next two uh, video clips. And uh, we're going to see uh, in the first one, Samuel Perry, uh, his own personal experience. And then Andrew Whitehead is going to give a little bit more about his research. Okay, here we go. I'm curious, and I'm, I might even be jumping ahead, and I apologize if, if that is the, the case, but you you bring up this moment of awakening and how, how prophetic, in some ways, your text is, your work is, but you also talk about both of your backgrounds being in evangelical um, kind of conservative space, and shout out to Purdue, Indiana. I'm a Purdue grad, so I know the oh, last yeah. scene. Yes. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I'm curious, like, you all get to this point ahead of the masses, right? Like, you get to this place before an insurrection happens. What was the wake-up moment for you? coming out of this evangelical culture that allowed you to even want to ask the questions? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one first. I, you know, I actually, uh, I'm, I'm quite thankful for my, my background. I was raised by evangelical parents uh, who I'd say were not Christian nationalists. And this is actually one of the things that gives me hope that evangelicalism doesn't have to be about this, or at least at the very least, like, faithful Bible-believing Christianity that loves Jesus doesn't have to be characterized by white Christian nationalism because my uh, parents, I was raised in a, in a, in a multiracial uh, home uh, where uh, my parents often would, would denounce attempts uh, of religious leaders to equate uh, Republican Party affiliation with authentic Christianity. Uh, and they called that to account, and and uh, and when we started studying it a few years ago, my parents welcomed that and celebrated it. Uh, and so um, I, I think for me, it it actually is a is something I'm so grateful for because I I've never been in those contexts where I, I mean I've been a, because of doing research, but I, I was not raised in a context where those two things were so closely wedded together. And I, I tell people it's when you've uh, it's when you've been able to sit at the feast that you know you're being served excrement, right? Like you, you know that, that, it, that what you're being served is a lie and it's false. Uh, and so I think that has given me a conviction that this is, uh, this hot garbage that we see as Christian nationalism is, is, uh, is built on a, on, a, on a foundation of lies and idolatry, uh, and we'd love to oppose it. 
can you talk a bit about these the, the categories that you have of people that are really into it, people that are against it, and then this accommodators? But I mean, I'll let you put your own words around it. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, thinking too back to that scale that we created, those that are on the very low end, um, so who strongly disagree or disagree with a lot of these questions, um, we call them rejectors. And so they're the ones that say, we don't really want any sort of um, close, you know, relationship between this type of Christianity and American civic life. Um, and, and so then we have, from there, we have resistors. And these are Americans that are a little more undecided. So they don't wholly oppose Christian nationalism or Christianity being a part of the conversation, but they're definitely uncomfortable with it. And then the group, kind of, if you know where the mean is of the scale, right in the middle, the group on the other side of that mean from resistors, we call accommodators. And this is the largest group. This is about 30%, a little over 30% of the population um, in various surveys um, that we include these questions over and over. So they're the largest group and they're the ones that, again, don't completely embrace Christian nationalism, but they, when we talk to them and when we interview people for the book all across the U.S., our accommodators are those that think, well, Christianity has played a good role in the past. Um, it should be a part of kind of what, what happens in American civil society. Um, maybe a little uncomfortable with it being the only religion, but they kind of were like, well, most of us are Christians. And so, yeah, the prayer at the Friday night football game should probably just be Christian. Um, but again, they aren't quite as, as strongly embracing it. And then you have ambassadors, and they're the ones at the highest end of the scale. Um, and they're the ones that really strongly embrace this idea of the U.S. is a Christian nation, always was, always should be. We have to take it back. Um, in order for it to maintain a blessing from the Christian God. And ambassadors are just around 20% of the population. So if we put ambassadors and accommodators together, it's a little over 50% of Americans are at least open to or friendly towards this idea of Christianity being privileged in the public sphere. Um, and so when we look at it in that sense, um, you know, churches, people kind of self-select in the different churches, but I think most white evangelical or even white mainline churches are going to have a lot of people that are at least somewhat embracing Christian nationalism. <clears throat> so, interesting, um, Samuel Perry had grown up in a evangelical household that really doesn't have much leanings towards Christian nationalism as we've been talking about it. And then uh, Andrew Whitehead is, has broke down for us in their research uh, the percentages of different ways people look at this particular topic. So I would say Samuel Perry grew up in a rejector's household uh, Andrew Whitehead says that uh, the rejectors make up about 21% uh, of the Christian population. Then there are those that are resistors, which uh, he doesn't mention specifically the percentage, but if you look at the uh, book, he mentions 26.6% is... <clears throat> Uh, people that resist Christian nationalism, but they're okay with uh, the nativity set being out in front of City Hall as part of the religious expression uh, of, you know, of Christmas. The accommodators, 32.1%, uh, support 
the use of Christian symbols and activities. And these would be individuals that would suggest that, you know, having the Ten Commandments uh, hung in the courtroom uh, is a good idea, but probably would not be very comfortable if right beside it was Buddhism's Eightfold Path Toward Enlightenment. Um, so as you move then uh, farther to the right, um, the ambassadors are these are these are the ones that we saw on January 6th. Uh, they're just fervent in their um, their pursuit of uh, making America great again, uh, taking uh, the nation back for God, that type of thing. So when I look at this, the way Andrew Whitehead breaks this down, in reality, it's not a very big percentage of people that would, I would say, um, be accepting of a level playing field among all religions in the United States. Uh, that would be only about 21%. The, the remainder um, would definitely favor Christianity over other religions. <clears throat> now, the more we have people that are coming into our country, immigrating to the United States, especially from certain areas of, of the world, they're not going to be Christian. And as they bring some of their own culture, language, and religion, uh, then what we find, at least this is my perspective, we might see some of the resistors and accommodators start moving a little bit more toward the ambassadors, because uh, as has already been mentioned, people don't like change. They want to keep uh, America the way it was, um, even though the demographics are really changing in the United States. <clears throat> so you might see Christian nationalism be more appealing to people who are not comfortable with uh, this far-right extremism, but if that's what we need to do to make sure we kind of stay at the forefront as Christians, and I want to say white Christians, um, then you might see that shifting a little bit. Um, do any of these percentages surprise you or concern you in any way? So again, there's, there's probably some room here. I don't think when you do research like this that you pin it down. So these percentages are approximates, I would think. They're not exact necessarily. But anyways, it's it's fascinating the way it kind of paints the picture. Any any thoughts? Larry, how do you how do you map into this the fact that you know like the UK and Europe and other, you know, before us, America is becoming less religious. You know, I think in other words, these surveys may have differed 50 or 75 years ago, you know, because the fact that America has become, you know, so somehow these numbers are also influenced by that fact, that there's much more apathy about religion in general, fewer people go to church, fewer people are serious Christians, are serious about religion, period. Uh -huh. And somehow that has to be, they don't comment on that, but that has to be 
considered in, in evaluating these numbers, I think, and where they're going and everything else. Yeah, I think what I understand you saying, and that's a good point. Uh, let's say that you take the population of the country as a whole, that's 100%. And let's say 50% are uh, apathetic, agnostic, or atheistic. Well, the other 50% break down maybe into these percentages here. So you're not necessarily looking at the entire population of the country in this percentage. You're only looking at people that might have an affinity toward religion um, and in particular Christianity. So my, my take on that is why are there more people apathetic, agnostic, or atheistic? It might be that they haven't been raised in a Christian home, so it's not all that important to them. Or it might be that because of the extremism that they have observed or the experience that they had in church, whether it's legalistic or, God forbid, if uh, certain people were somehow molested in church and taken advantage of, they've said, I don't want anything to do with it. So you might find that a lot of people are walking away from the faith. And I really do believe uh, younger people that are the age of my boys, um, you know, people in their 30s and 20s, um, they, they go, you know, church, religion, Christianity, it's, you know, it's just, it's too, it's too messed up. I don't want anything to do with it. And it, that might be a strong factor as to why the agnostic and apathetic group has grown so dramatically, especially in the last generation or two. But I do think your observation is very good. And that is, this doesn't represent the entirety of the uh, population of the United States, just those that uh, are somehow connected to Christianity. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right, let me show you one last video and then we'll be done. And then I'll come back at your handout says um, uh, some important distinctions. That's something that I added that's not actually in the video curriculum. I, I wanna take some time with that. I'll, I'll pick that up uh, beginning next week. But here's the last video for tonight. Um, this is a guy by the name of Michael Walter. I don't know anything about him, uh, but let's uh, hear what he has to say. William Joseph Simmons, a Methodist minister, ascended Stone Mountain in Georgia with 15 other men. He built there an altar to his God and laid upon it a Bible, a sword, and an American flag. A cross was also set ablaze. Hence, the second rise of the Ku Klux Klan was born. Reflecting later on that day, Reverend Simmons, who declared himself imperial wizard or national leader, said that the angels that have anxiously watched the Reformation from its beginnings must have hovered about Stone Mountain and shouted hosannas to the highest heavens. Simmons led the Klan for seven years during which time they experienced dramatic growth in number, influence, and power. 
in addition to facilitating other acts of violence all across America. The Klan gained majority control over several state houses and made public witness of their increasing influence and power by marching through the streets of Washington, D.C. Therefore, what is currently transpiring in America is not the first time that white Christian nationalism has run rampant, nor is it the first time that the God of white supremacy has been openly worshiped in both citadels of power as well as churches. Yet this truth does not diminish the clear and present dangers posed with its rise. You see, white supremacy comes with the body count. And when white Christian nationalism reigns, death runs rapid too. During the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of this year, many insurrectionists came, as the Klan did years before, to D.C. in the name of their God. They openly carried crosses and Bibles. They gathered for prayer in the shadow of gallows, gallows erected to lynch elected officials if granted the chance. They circled for prayer on the Senate floor after assaulting and murdering a Capitol Police officer in route. They lauded their God for granting them the favor to, quote, send a message to all tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs. Friends, we know that these are consequential times. Today, in the name of the God of white supremacy, voting rights are being eroded all across America. Today, in the name of the God of white supremacy, our Asian American brothers and sisters are being assaulted and slaughtered in cold blood in America's streets. Although a new administration now occupies the White House, the God of white supremacy still reigns supreme in most state houses. Before we can effectively work to heal our divides in this nation, we must take full inventory of the roots from which they spring forth. In many ways, our divides are the results of idol worship. When the God of our allegiance is a manifestation of our unsubstantiated fears and selfish manipulations, we worship a God shaped and formed in our own interests, as opposed to the God who shaped and formed us as a reflection of God's self to care for the concerns of others. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes wrote, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Certainly white Christian nationalism is not new. Our nation is unfortunately well acquainted with this death dealing dynamics. But just as white Christian nationalism is not new, Neither is our opposition to it. I must admit to you, friends, this truth for me is a well of hope. We are gifted with a blueprint for transformative struggle. 
in multiple generations before us. We find persons who have combated such evils with courage and consistency, persons brave enough to bend the arc towards justice, knowing that it does not just bend itself. Persons who bear witness to the light of God in the whole of humanity who boldly work against any force seeking to diminish its light. The late Coretta Scott King once said, struggle is a never ending process. Freedom is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. Therefore, as in generations past, we must boldly, courageously, and consistently pick up the mantle of justice and advance the cause of freedom. We must advance the cause of freedom forward against what for us is a familiar foe. With faith in God and in community with each other, certainly in this generation, we will prevail. That is the Reverend Dr. Michael Waters. Uh, he can find his uh, contact information at michaelwaters.com. Okay, that's a great capstone for us tonight. That's a good place for us to stop. Uh, so I uh, appreciate your patience tonight and I hope that these videos were helpful to you, uh, at least to get a, uh, a start on understanding this particular topic, and we'll pick up from there uh, next Wednesday night. Any other closing thoughts or comments before we say goodnight? Anything? Is this the same thing that's happening in, I think it's Brazil, where they're, I saw in the news where they were having an insurrection where they're trying to overthrow the government? There are a lot of similarities between um, what happened with the denial of the election in the United States that's happening in Brazil. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have an individual that was defeated in the Brazilian election, and uh, I think his name is Bolsonaro. Uh, he is denying that the election was uh, valid. So you are seeing some of the similar patterns <clears throat> and again, this is this is their form of nationalism. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not just something that happens in our country. It's something that can happen elsewhere as well. Mm. All right. Well, I'll let you go. I hope you have a great rest of the evening. And uh, we'll see you either Sunday or next week online. Okay. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye.